Welcome to Vicious Talk with Benny P. Today is going to be another exciting episode. I feel like they're all exciting episodes, but another one today. We're bringing back my good friend and co-host, Connor Larson. Welcome back, buddy. Hey, what's popping, Ben? I mean, anytime we're, we're talking about football, man, it's an exciting episode <laughs> I, for sure. I was just listening back to one of our episodes the other day, and I, I was like, man, I started every episode. It's going to be an exciting episode. What if I just said one day, like, you know, today we've got to have a bad episode. We didn't really bring it today, and uh, sorry about it, but you're going to listen anyways. Like, <laughs> you, you sound like Mike Geo from Sports Cards Nonsense. Like, oh, we didn't do enough research. We're going to get canceled. <laughs> but uh, we are... Look, I'm not gonna lie to you. It's, a, it's an exciting, it's an exciting episode for anybody who is an NFC South fan or a fantasy football fan or just a football enthusiast in general. We're gonna talk about the NFC South specifically. Continue on our mission to complete the uh, previews for all eight divisions in the NFL. We're in our third episode here. We got a lot of football coverage coming your way before the season starts. So, Connor, the preseason has been underway. Have you been catching any of the NFL games so far? No, I hate football. Why are we even talking about it? <laughs> yeah, of Did course. Did you have that one queued up? Uh, you were so ready for that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think the preseason is a great opportunity to look at some of the teams that have had some roster movement and especially some teams that are extremely young who have had some very high draft picks to see, you know, are the new quarterbacks and the wide receivers on the same page. So an example we were talking about earlier is I was checking in on the Detroit Lions, a team that, had Matt Stafford, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones leave. So this so is basically all their best players. Offense. They're just on. They're on yeah, exactly. <laughs> so it's like, okay, who the hell is going to be catching the passes? You know, how is Jared Goff going to look in this new environment? It, we're and, assuming uh, they're going to catch Williams passes, on right? New team so too. we're assuming they're going to catch some. We're, we're assuming someone's <laughs> going to be relevant, and um, you know what I gleaned from just a couple minutes of action is Tyrell Williams is still clearly the preeminent deep threat that he was on the Raiders when he was healthy. So if he's able to stay healthy and on the field, I think he will be decent. And then the guy who seems to kind of be the go-to at this point um, had very good timing with Jared Goff is their rookie draft pick, Amon Ross St. Brown. He, he looked very good. I he think has three a beautiful catches name. in the first quarter. A beautiful name. It, beautiful name. I have some of his cards. So if you want to buy some of his cards for me, let me know. Um, but yeah, I think he's going to be a decent possession receiver. He, he's not the the biggest or the fastest, but he looked very clean getting in and out of his routes, creating separation. And, and the timing with Jared Goff was, was the key thing I was looking at with their combination. They really seem to be on the same page. So I asked you if you had watched any of the NFL preseason games and you started with possibly the worst team in the NFL, the, the, the Detroit Lions. I mean, their over-under total is four and a half or five, and that's ranked dead last, tied for dead last with the Texans. Yeah. So, I mean, point being, you're not, you don't need to watch the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. We know who's going to be catching the passes on their offense. Right. We know Tom Brady sense. is the greatest of all time. So I'm looking at the teams that have that have shuffled around a lot, and I think those are the preseason games you want to catch, yeah. especially because at this point a lot of teams are resting the starters. Like the Bills were the other team in that game. They didn't play Josh Allen. You know, they they know what they're going to get out of him. They didn't have Stefan Diggs on the field. They're going to give him some more time to get ready during the preseason before running him out there. But what they're trying to do is get some real live game action for these players who are on brand new spots. So, I mean, absolutely great to evaluate the rookie wide receivers, for example. Definitely, yeah. I'm just, I'm, I'm yanking your chain, man. I, I agree with you. We definitely want to... My balls are busted, <laughs> for sure. We, we definitely want to watch preseason games for any sort of glimpse of things that we could take away for, you know, pers personal 
endeavors like gambling and fantasy football and the <laughs> i mean that's why i watch them honestly in the preseason because it's not it's not the best brand of football you're gonna start watching but by the second quarter you're gonna be watching guys that you'll never you'll never see in the pre in the uh, the regular season so especially this early on yeah but totally. you you really only need to watch the first quarter and by that time they're they're already even taking out the backup players and they're looking at the guys who are going to be on that cut line between like the 53 man roster and the 88 man roster that begins the start of the preseason. So they're evaluating, all right, what of these 30 or 40 players are going to keep on the team? But you know, so if you're going to watch preseason, yeah, you only really need to watch a quarter of the game. Agreed. I, uh, one thing that I did like about the preseason so far that I saw was how uh, praised and how uh, the New England fan base embraced their new young quarterback, Mac Jones. I thought that was pretty cool with him coming out. And Mac Jones. I, I, uh, I do hear, I keep hearing good things about him. So it's encouraging. And I'm a, I'm a Patriots fan, you know, um, but, you know, obviously just a football fan in general. With a, being a Patriots fan, it's like we have at least a couple decades on the belt where we, it's okay if we start losing some football games. We, we've got some. We got some in the bank. We're we're saved up. We're good. Sick. Yeah, you're the man, Ben. A bunch you? of people like who hate the Patriots. It's like this prick. I'm just I'm tuned I'm tuned out. You mean ninety percent of the country? <laughs> you're, all right, everybody's fine at this point. Like, shut up, Ben. Like, let's just let's talk about some, <laughs> talk about some NFC. No, no, talk about how good the Patriots are and how good they've been. Let's talk about some Keep NFC going. South. Then, all right, we're actively losing <laughs> listeners by talking about the Patriots right now. <laughs> Oh my God! All right, let me transition to another topic. Then let's talk about the NFC South, <laughs> the plan of our podcast. We're here to talk about the Bears, the Detroit Lions, Green Bay Packers, and the Minnesota Vikings, the four teams that encompass and and, and create the NFC South division. And let's start with the Chicago Bears. The eight and eight was their twenty twenty record last year. Their over under win total coming into this season is seven and a half. They're plus 550 to win this division this year. Their key ads on the offseason, quarterback Andy Dalton, Angelo Blackson, Jeremiah Atachu, Damian Williams, Christian Jones, Marquise Goodwin, Desmond Trufant. Um, nothing too eye-popping. Obviously, the big move was the drafting of uh, rookie quarterback Justin Fields out of Ohio State. Uh, the losses on the roster coming into this year from last year, Mitch Trubisky, the glorious, ever so, you know, excellent and always a fan favorite Mitch Trubisky. Barcavius Bingo, the edge rusher. Bobby Massey, Brett, uh, Brent Urban, Cordell Patterson, DeAndre Carter, John Jenkins, Kyle Fuller, who is a big loss in my opinion. Anthony Miller, wide receiver, was also traded. Some key X factors, Connor. What are we looking at at the Bears this year? Anything you want to start off with the conversation for the Bears? I mean, I think the, when you're talking about X factors, it's got to be the quarterback position. There you go. You know, first round pick, Justin Fields, 11th overall, I believe. And uh, they're saying that Dalton's the QB one. So my question is, how how early do we see Justin Fields take over at that position? We know Dalton's not the long-term solution. He was not good in Dallas. And my thing is that their their upside potential completely hinges on when does Justin Fields take over? Yeah, that's obviously the main question for this Bears team. And, I, and what I think is going to determine whether or not they reach that seven and a half win total over or under that is going to depend on one, whether or not Justin Fields plays a good amount of these games this year. And then two, how well Justin Fields plays when he, when he inevitably makes that debut and, uh, 
continues to play throughout the rest of the season because Justin Fields is going to either make this machine tick and and lead the Bears to possibly a postseason con- uh, berth or at least contend for the postseason or Andy Dalton's going to play the majority of the snaps here at quarterback and the Bears are going to go 6 and 11 or 7 and 10 like it's going to be right. Dalton severely caps this team's ceiling I mean I mentioned I, I at the top with this team. I kind of joked about how great Mitch Trubisky was. Look, you want to say I think everything everything you want to say about Mitch Trubisky. Andy Dolan has has stats that are much worse. Well, not much worse. Mitch Trubisky was pretty bad, but Andy Dolan was a worse quarterback than Mitch Trubisky last year. He was not. He he. All the stats show it. it uh, Andy Dalton last year. He was ranked twenty um, fifth in EPA per play and twenty fifth in QBR. That's quarterback rating. And EPA, like I said earlier, is essentially how many points you add per play on the field. Uh, and is that expected points above average? Yeah, exactly. Gotcha. Um, and. Dalton was well below average in both those categories. Statistically, Trubisky was the better quarterback, and Dalton had uh, better options in Dallas. I don't, I don't think anybody's gonna argue that Dallas has one of the e- most elite receiving cores in the NFL. Fantastic. So, I mean, there's really no excuse for Dalton to fail in Dallas last year, and Trubisky was dealt a pretty tough hand. The, there was just a lot of ups and downs of the Bears season last year, and um, Trubisky, you know, dealt with what he could you know he has his own faults not a very accurate quarterback does has um some questionable decision making at best but dalton's not going to be any sort of uh upgrade is what my point is here i mean right he's gonna Dal- they, they brought in nick Foles previously thinking he was going to be the savior yeah. and i don't see dalton being any different than what Foles brought to the table really yeah. at this point in his career at least yeah i mean the bears last year ranked 23rd as a team in dvoa in passing the passing dvoa rankings by football outsiders what, what does dvoa stand for for our listeners it's um uh, i honestly can't remember what dvoa is essentially defense it, adjusted value over average yeah it's it's essentially just like the advanced it's a it's a football outsiders ranking system that they use to rank all the different attributes of the teams it's a pretty good um, advanced statistic where the rank they rank the defense the offense the total um you know the team as a as a whole they also rank special teams volatility football outsiders has a lot of um you know leading advanced statistics and uh the bears last year like i said 23rd in passing dvoa trubisky was ranked 18th in epa per play and 21st in qbr that's I mean, you know, he, like I said, Dalton was 25th in each of those categories last year. So the question is, you know, if Justin Fields comes into this game, how, what can we expect out of him? And when is it going to be too soon? When is too soon to bring in Fields? Like, is there a, a can he start week one? Can we expect success? The second quarter, I maybe, mean, of the week one game? It's, look, I, I read this stat off uh, in a previous podcast about rookie quarterbacks seven out of the last 31 rookie quarterbacks with at least 30 uh 300 dropbacks over the last 10 that's over the last 10 years they finished in the top only seven finished in the top half as starters um, of starters in the nfl in epa expected points above average that's 23 percent so fields may have a 23 percent chance roughly of being an above average starting quarterback that's just based on well, history. So my question is then, Ben, 
What is the percentage chance you think Andy Dalton is an above average quarterback? It's not higher than that. It's my guess. That's the, exactly. That's my point. Thank you. Perfect. I don't think I, I would put it at like a 1% chance. Like not right. So what we're saying is like, even though we don't think Justin Fields is necessarily going to be above average, or at least the chances for somebody in his position aren't very high. I think they're still higher than what Andy Dalton's <laughs> chances are because we yeah. have a history with Andy Dalton. Yeah. We know what we're going to get. Yeah. And, and, and when you look at that sample size of rookie quarterbacks over the last 10 years, the median of that bunch is Mike Glennon. He started uh, over the last 10 years. Mike Glennon, his rookie season started and finished 23rd in expected points above average. So if Justin Fields is just an average rookie quarterback, he, he's the median middle of the line rookie quarterback, he's still better than Andy Dalton, who finished 25th in EPA last year. So there's just um, not a lot to get excited about if Andy Dal- if, if Fields can't earn the job over Dalton. There's just nothing to get excited about with the Bears. So that's obviously the, the first X factor that you have to ask yourself when you're looking at this Chicago team. Um, because the only question about my, how I raised the question about how uh, whether or not Fields can start too soon, is, the answer is yes. Because we've already seen a plethora of examples throughout you know the history of rookie quarterbacks, and um, you can't let them develop bad habits by bringing them in too soon. And by, by that, you know, if they're not ready, they could they could suffer with pressure. They could suffer with decision making. They could they start get afraid. seeing ghosts. They could start seeing ghosts. Like there's there's a lot of problems that could arise if you bring in a rookie quarterback too soon because um, it's not just it's not they don't develop the same when they're in the game versus when they're on the bench. Like it's a different scale of development. And so if you try to pressure cook. A quarterback in their in their development by starting them too soon sometimes you come out with something like you you pressure cook your rice or you like a, you pressure cook your meat into pressure cooker sometimes you do it too too fast too hot comes out burnt like that's what that that could happen with your quarterback you burn your meat there <laughs> you like that one <laughs> that's going on instagram as a quote do not burn your meat like a rookie quarterback. Exactly. Do not do that. Exactly. Any other questions for you with Chicago Bears? For me, it's. I mean, I think the only besides that's obviously the the offensive side of the football is the quarterback. But what what are your thoughts on the defense? I mean, the defense was not excellent last year, not as good as you think. But they also lost, like I said, Kyle Fuller. They brought in Desmond Trufant to Trufant. I'll tell you, in Seattle last year, he was absolutely terrible, ranked one thirty three out of 136 quarterback uh, cornerbacks by pro football focus 133 out of 136 that's that's it's not good He's, that's borderline out of the league type of rankings and stats so any, any thoughts on the defense for chicago yeah i mean chicago i think was what like 14th or 15th in points against not not necessarily the worst they they averaged 23 points but against per when, game so you have, it seems like a very achievable yeah, number but when you have and khalil Mack. We, we, and you have yeah. Kyle Fuller last year. Like you have some some right. Pro Bowl type talent on your defense. Cleo Mack is a top five edge rusher but for sure. He's like a know? top ten edge rusher of all time talent type of yeah. type of player. Like yeah. So yeah, that's not bad. Fourteenth or fifteenth in the league, but that's not as that's not reaching your potential. Do you think that there's going to be any yeah. sort of reason for improvement? I'm not really seeing it here. Well, I think part of the defensive struggle was very much based on the Bears' offensive uh, success. And when you have a team that's consistently going three and out and your defense is on the field a lot, 
it, it can be very deflating and it, and it can be very de-energizing. It takes a lot of energy when you're talking about long drives from other teams and then your team three and outs, the next set of downs with Nick Foles or Trubisky throwing air and passes. So I think a lot of the defensive success will hinge upon how efficient this offense is. Now we have David Montgomery coming off of a good season. I think he's going to continue to improve. He's a decent pass catcher. So at least whoever is coming in at quarterback can rely on the fact that they have a running back they can dump it off to. Tariq Cohen should be healthy this year. Another great option coming out of the backfield as a pass catcher. And then obviously we love Allen Robinson. He's just, you know, so steady and he's going to get 150 targets. He's going to come, you know, with 1300 yards, probably seven or eight touchdowns. But then you also have Darnell Mooney, who created a ton of separation last year and suffered from a multitude of off-target throws. If we see Justin Fields maybe take over week three, week four, and he's just even a little bit better than what, what they've had at quarterback play over the past two or three years, which shouldn't be hard, right? The guys we've been talking about, they've all been way below average. So even if he's average at best, I think this defense will succeed more, and I think this offense will succeed a lot more. This is a team that, if Justin Fields plays well, has has their upside is they, they could definitely make the playoffs, in my opinion. For me, if they make the playoffs, it's gonna it's gonna mean that Justin uh, Justin Fields had an excellent rookie season, and that's possible. I agree. I think he's a, I think he's a very talented quarterback. I honestly wanted the Patriots to get him. He didn't fall quite as far, quite far enough to snag him at 15 when they got Mac Jones. Um, with Fields... He would have been perfect as, like, the heir apparent to Cam Yeah, Newton. You know, that would have been fantastic. He, he, a lot of, Cam is obviously a guy that they compare him to, um, you know, often. And I, I think Fields has a lot of promising talent. And the question is whether or not we start to see that this year. Because, I mean, Justin Fields was the bona fide number two quarterback going into the last year. Like it, heading in every, every college stat would have said that behind Trevor Lawrence, he, he was, was the next best college exactly. quarterback. And then something happened where, you know, NFL team soured on him a little bit. You know, Zach Wilson goes over him. Trey Lance goes over him. Was there anybody else that was drafted ahead of him? Any other quarterbacks? Uh, he was number fourth on the board. Okay. Yeah. So for me, I mean, you have to, Fields is going to have to walk into Chicago with a chip on his shoulder trying to prove these these NFL teams that passed on him, you know, prove to them that they made a major mistake because he has a lot of talent. We'll see if he can put it together. I think Matt, Matt Nagy... I didn't like that, too. You know, it's kind of the, the, the Deshaun Watson effect when you're talking about versus Mitchell Trubisky, the old quarterback, and that was the comparison. Like, can you believe this team took Mitchell Trubisky over Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes, yeah. right? And those guys came into the league with a chip on their shoulder. They said, hey, I should have been drafted much higher. You know, this freaking guy was drafted over me. Zach Wilson was drafted over me. Like, I think Justin Fields is going to come into this league motivated to show now that was no fluke at Ohio State the numbers I put up I am legitimately this good yeah I think though Matt Nagy the head coach for the Chicago Bears is not the first guy to put it nicely that I would choose to develop a young quarterback like Justin Fields he, he does he, I haven't seen anything in his tenure at Chicago to suggest that he's a creative offensive mind that can help young quarterbacks develop. Well, he was supposed potential. to be this offensive savant, right? And, and I, I he don't came see in it. And he had one good. He had a good one good year, where, and he, you know, he used Tariq Cohen very uh, creatively as a multi-talented running back. 
And then all of a sudden at last year, it was like, well, where did that creativity go? It looked very standard as an offense, very just predictable. Yeah. I mean, I, it, I think it'd be interesting to see if Mitch Trubisky did anything with another team because the you have to ask yourself, you know, was that – that relationship souring between Chicago and Trubisky was that because Matt Nagy couldn't come up with the right scheme for him because Trubisky had his own faults but you know you we saw Baker Mayfield struggling early in his career in Cleveland Kevin Stefanski comes in creates an offensive scheme that works perfectly for him he's he's a scheme quarterback you know they found the great the perfect offense to function behind a guy like Baker we never saw any of that with Nagy and Trubisky. And you wonder, you know, is it all on Trubisky? Was Nagy literally getting the most out of him? And Trubisky being a, just, a, you know, a mediocre QB? Was that, you know, the 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 peak of his performance? I don't know. But he's going to be a backup in Buffalo. So that's we're not really going to be able to see that. But it would be interesting, is my point. Well, I think he, he makes sense as a backup in Buffalo, too, because I think he's a he's a slightly, you know, I, I, he's a worse version of Josh Allen. He's a, he's a quarterback who is able to get out of the pocket and be creative with his legs. And that's where part of his strength comes from. And that's something that Nagy didn't really capitalize on in his second season. He did not use Trubisky out of the pocket. He did not use those quarterback designed runs. So if you're talking about, okay, well, maybe the coach holds back the quarterbacks in Chicago, that could certainly be the case when it comes to Justin Fields. If they're not willing to use his strengths, then they they could certainly falter because of that because we know Justin Fields is a very athletic quarterback who's able to get out of the pocket and create. Yeah. All right, let's look at some fantasy football outlook for this team. Obviously, there's a plethora. I mean, there's not a plethora, but there's a good bundle of guys that we're targeting in our drafts here. We already you already touched on pretty much the big bunch of them. I mean, Allen Robinson is a guy that we're all very high on. He's just seems to be Mr. Consistent year in and year out. In the seasons that he's played at least 16 games in his career, last year he finished wide receiver 12, 2019 wide receiver 12, 2016. He, he had two injured seasons between those years. In 2016, he was 28, wide receiver 2 in that range. And then wide receiver 15, early in his career, his rookie season, wide receiver 4. So Robinson has had an interesting career. He's really made up. He, Chicago made a commitment to him this offseason. I mean, they franchise tagged him, paid him a lot of money. There's a lot of rumors that he might leave Chicago, that they might not want to pay to bring him back. He's getting paid a lot of money this year. You know, they made a commitment to him. They want him in Chicago to help their young quarterback, Justin Fields, develop. Can you see another wide receiver one finish here for Allen Robinson? I think he's certainly in that like nine to 12 range. I mean, he's never had a good quarterback. He's never had a quarterback he could rely on going from Blake Bortles and to Nick Foles and Mitchell Trubisky. I mean, like where is the quarterback that you could trust? And yet he still had these top finishes year after year. So I'm not like concerned at all. The fact that it's going to be either Andy Dalton or a rookie quarterback in Justin Fields. I think I'm excited by the op, the upside that, you know, potentially exist that they actually do have a good quarterback in Justin Fields because if he ends up being a decent rookie, Allen Robinson could have a fantastic year. I think he's very locked in as a back end wide receiver one. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, if you walk out of your first three rounds with two elite running backs and Allen Robinson as your wide receiver one, or like Travis Kelsey, right. Allen Robinson, and one elite running back, like that's a that's a solid three rounds. 
it's it's a very good recipe for success because that lets you uh, to be a lot more aggressive in whoever your second wide receiver is too. You can kind of take a chance because you know week in and week out, Allen Robinson's going to come away for, with eight to twelve targets, yeah, for and 10 eighty to hundred yards. Yeah, absolutely. So he was last year. I mean that that floor, like I said, I just hinted at, is, is always high. I mean last year he was third in the NFL in total targets. He had 151. He was behind just uh, Stefan Diggs and DeAndre Hopkins, who were both elite last year. He was seventh as well in average targets per game at 9.4. So Chicago was looking his way early and often last year. I think you're right. I think he's going to be in that back end of the wide receiver one conversation. All right. So his, his run. Yeah, he's, he's currently my number 11 ranked wide receiver. Yeah. I would assume you're probably in a similar range. Yeah, I think I, I think I have him in that range as well. His running mate, though, was the next guy I want to talk about, Darnell Mooney. You already you already touched on him last year. You know he, he did he was pretty poor in his efficiency rates. He was 88th in 111 wide receivers last year in yards per route run, 1.2 yards per route run. So essentially, just dividing his total yards divided by his routes, and uh, it wasn't great. He wasn't efficient with his routes. He wasn't efficient with his receiving. Is that partially because of the quarterback and the passing game in Chicago? Is that partially on him? You know, is he is he not you know running efficient routes, and is he is he not creating enough separation? You you hinted that he you know he is creating some separation. And he is a talented receiver. Um, I'd like to see that in in his second year here in the, in the NFL. Yeah, I, I would love to see that, and I mean he's not going to cost you much in terms of your fantasy draft. He he's one of the last picks you can take on your team. And the upside that exists with, you know, an absolute field stretcher, if he can get a quarterback in Justin Fields, uh, who can be a little bit more accurate, who has a good arm downfield, you know, he's he's a guy who's dealt with, again, quarterbacks that have been very uh, inaccurate throughout his time. You know, no one touted Trubisky as an accurate deep ball passer ever. Um, so I think Mooney definitely has upside. I feel like he was consistently streaking open down the field and, he wasn't catching the passes because the passes were uncatchable. Yeah. And I don't think it was an issue with the wide receiver. I think it was an issue. at Yeah. I mean, he did set the franchise record for rookie receptions in a season. So, I mean, he, while I want while I was hinting at, you know, he, maybe he didn't have the quite the most efficient season. He, I think his, his floor is pretty high. 61 catches, 631 yards and four touchdowns. Not a bad takeaway from your first rookie year. I think it was a seventh round draft pick. Yeah. It's good value out of Chicago. And camp reports on him have been encouraging. Matt Nagy did say on him that, you know, Mooney's been on fire with his route running and is, quote-unquote, putting his own spin and stamp on more routes. Nagy's been highly encouraged by the combination of Allen Robinson and Darnell Mooney. The two did work in tandem during the the last couple off-seasons, and I think their chemistry is starting to show there in Chicago. Yeah, and I, and I don't think you let go of Anthony Miller unless you feel absolutely Good rock point. solid about Darnell Good Mooney point. as your number two wide receiver. You know, Anthony Miller was a guy, I think he he had eight touchdowns in a season. He was a very effective wide receiver, but a little bit up and down. And obviously some of that is, again, related to the quarterback play, but they let him go this year. I think it was his third or fourth year. And you don't do, yeah, they let him to the Texans. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you don't let that happen unless you are completely confident that what you saw on the tape last year even if the output didn't necessarily tie to it from Darnell Mooney you know you have to like him going into this year especially if you think that you know the coaching staff like him too definitely we're expecting big things out of the Tulane product in Chicago this year all right the running back 
Shout out to Lane. Nice one. I like that, Benny. We're we're look at let's look at the running back combinations here. David Montgomery is obviously leaving leading the way. Had a torrid finish of the 2020 fantasy season was a league winner for a lot of fantasy owners late in the fantasy season last year i my question is whether or not to expect that trend to continue because there's a lot of statistics that suggest that maybe montgomery was a little bit of a fool's gold late in the year he did he did have some big yardage games against some weak run defenses there's a lot of just opportunity for him there's a lot of cloudiness heading into the 2021 season is my point because last year he ranked 19th out of 35 qualified running backs in running in receiving efficiency yards per route run 1.12 yards per route run did he he had so you know the thing that keeps a lot of running backs floors high is their involvement in the passing game and I, i'm not sure we're going to see a ton of that from montgomery this year so if, if you turn montgomery into a, a one-dimensional type of running back where he's running the ball primarily and not getting as much fantasy points in the passing game it's going to be a big problem for a guy that you're going to draft as your your top tier wide receiver two where which is where he's kind of going right now what are your thoughts on montgomery heading to the year Montgomery's a very difficult one, you know, coming into his rookie season, he had the entire opportunity to himself. He was very ineffective. And yet in year two, he totally broke out the second half of the season. Like you mentioned, it very much reminds me of like the Melvin Gordon story where in year one, I don't think Melvin Gordon even had a touchdown in year two, he exploded. And I'm just not totally convinced that he's this amazing court, like amazing running back. Um, I think where he's going is, is, probably right around where his value is he's kind of a back-end running back too and that's that's i think the consistency is going to be there i think he's going to get enough touches um i think that you know certainly he's he's the running back to be had in this backfield but Tariq cohen and and i think they is it damian williams they signed yeah. as well to I, be and his damian williams is someone that i i liked a lot in, in kansas city and he, he opted out last yeah. year for the covid reasons um, he was going to throw a lot of questions towards Clyde Edwards Elaire heading into the 2020 fantasy year. I mean, because Williams had an excellent uh, Super Bowl in 2019 when Kansas right. Chiefs won it. He, I mean, in my yeah, they opinion, signed him to a pretty large contract. And, yeah, and in my opinion, I thought he, should, yeah, he I thought he should have been the Super Bowl MVP borderline in 2019, and he was he was in that conversation. Just what Pat Mahomes was the great story and and had an excellent performance, but Williams was, uh, he was a uh, incredible good. in that game. So. Comes into Chicago to back up David Montgomery. This is easily the best backup that Montgomery's ever had to, to uh, compete with in Chicago. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, and I think it's a fair point to make. And I think a lot of the value that we saw in the passing game out of Montgomery last year only occurred after Tariq Cohen went out with injury. Good point. Um, so I think that we certainly see some of that volume decrease. And if the volume decreases. And his effectiveness has never been, you know, top of the league. I think we we are due for a little bit of regression. But again, if this if Justin Fields takes over and all of a sudden this is a, a top fifteen offense, you know, that then he still could have a lot of success. I think in his own right, I think he's a talented running back, David Montgomery. I mean, we saw what he's capable of when he got the opportunity right. last year. But the point is that the opportunity, the uh, the position that he's in in Chicago didn't improve this offseason. 
he it actually got a lot more difficult to see how he's going to get fantasy points this year because, like we said, Damian Williams is back. Damian Williams is joining the the back deal. Tariq Cohen is back, and Cohen just he never sits quietly on the sidelines in Chicago for whatever reason. He's like what five six, probably not even like small guy, big personality for sure. Yeah, and Chicago loves him, and they they always throw him out there on third downs for passing situations. And you know the Bears O line in terms of you know whether or not the O-line is going to create opportunities for Montgomery. The O-line is pretty mediocre, middle of the pack. Last year, they went 15th in pass block win rate. If And if Justin Fields takes over at QB, like we're hoping, he'll inevitably bite into some of the rushing workload and the goal line carries for Montgomery. So that's something to consider right. as well. That's true, too. So, I mean, you if you want Montgomery to take you home to the playoffs like he did last year, if Fields is the primary quarterback and functioning at you know the full capacity that Chicago hopes he's capable of, Late in the season, that might be you know be difficult for Montgomery down you know when it comes fantasy playoff time. You're relying on your 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 workhorse of a wide, of running back too. You know maybe Fields takes some of those goal line carries from him. That's going to be tough. Yeah, I mean right now I have him as my 19th ranked um, running back. I actually have Joe Mixon, Miles Gaskin ahead of him, and then I have. Uh, him ahead of Daryl Henderson by one spot. So that's kind of where I see his value, you know, back end running back too. He, he has decent upside, but I don't think he's going to end up in your top five this year. Yeah, I have him as my RB18 ranked ahead of guys like Josh Jacobs, J.K. Dobbins, and Daryl Henderson. So um, very similar. Yeah, we're one spot apart. Yeah. I think we have the same consensus opinion on Montgomery. He's the back end too. He's going to be reliable. But he he doesn't have that huge upside that we saw at the back end of last year based on the people he has around him now. Yeah. All right, over under win total picks seven and a half is the question here, Connor. Were you going over or under seven and a half? I mean, that's really tough out of this team. I, were they five hundred last year? Yeah, eight and eight. I don't see them finishing very differently from last year because I think this defense keeps them in a lot of games. If Justin Fields takes over early enough, seven and a half is certainly within the cards. I'll, I'll take the over, but I, I, I'm not going to put any personal doubt on it. Gotcha. I am going under for Chicago. I actually like this pick. I think the Bears are they are expected to face the toughest set of opposing defenses in the NFL this year. Eight offenses ranked in the top 11 in offensive EPA per play last year. So the, the schedule is tough for them. They got tough defenses and tough offenses on the schedule. Chicago also has the second worst net rest advantage in the NFL at 14 games. They are at a deficit to their opponent 14 times in terms of rest. So 14 out of 17 wow. games, they have they're going to go into the matchup have less with, rest less, than the other with team. less rest than the other team. That's not easy, and their road schedule is awful this year. They have to face not even not just their divisional trips to green bay and minnesota which are always tough because i mean green bay is green bay and minnesota has one of the best home field advantages in the league but they also have to face on the road the rams the seahawks the steelers the browns and the bucks that is a gauntlet of a road trip all right ben you convinced me i'm going under (laughs) i I switched my pick like i wasn't i'm not i wasn't convinced on the over i'm just a justin fields believer but i mean the stats you're putting forward right now those are heavy hitters and it does sound like Based on the matchups yeah. too, it's no, it's no cakewalk. This and, year. and I do expect a little bit of a regression for their defense. Like I said, Kyle Fuller was a good cornerback for them, and they replaced him with an awful cornerback in Desmond Trufant. I don't really like that either. You know, the only way, like I said, they go over on this, in my view, is whether is if Justin Fields is the next Deshaun Watson, and 
that's not that, there's, that's, there's definitely the pot. So it's, it's, it's a possibility. It's, it's, it's a right? possibility, but you know, it's not a good bet. So I'm gonna go with the under seven and a half. All right, let's go into our next NFC South franchise, the Detroit Lions. They were five and eleven last year. Their over/under win total heading into the 2021. 22 season is four and a half. I've seen it at five and other, so and other points. Little. Yeah. Oh my God. They are, like I said early on in this podcast, one of the worst projected teams in the NFL this year. They are plus 2,800 to win this division. So <laughs> essentially, they are not expected to win this division at all. Their key additions this offseason, if you want to call them that, Jared Goff at quarterback, Michael Brockers at internal defensive line. Tyrell Williams, Jamal Williams, Brashad Perriman, Alex Anzalone, who I actually kind of like at linebacker, Charles Harris, the edge rusher, and Amon Saint Amon Ross St. Brown, the uh, the rookie wide receiver that you were talking about earlier. Key losses, the losses definitely seem to outweigh the additions. Stafford, Kenny Galladay, Marvin Jones Jr., Daryl Roberts, Desmond Trufant, Deron Harmon, Amendola, Sanu, and Peterson. Sorry, I'm just realizing. I think I said earlier in the podcast that Trufant was in Seattle. My mistake. He's he was in Detroit last year, and he was terrible. Don't get me wrong there. All right, the key X factor with this team, whether or not they go over under, really has to be a question of whether or not they're going to be okay with tanking, because that's going to be the case. They're going to have they're going to have an opportunity to you know not necessarily tank. A lot of people. That's kind of a taboo word in sports nowadays, but. Whether or not they're going to be... You mean the process, right? A, a, exactly. They trust exactly. the process. Because this team seems to be positioning themselves to draft a top-tier quarterback in 2022 in that next draft class. So, you know, late in this season, you have to ask yourself the question, is this team just going to be all right to kind of play the backups or maybe sit a healthy healthy player if, they, if you know, the injury concerns are just a little bit questionable? It's it's a question to be asking yourself because if they have an opportunity to be the worst team in the NFL, if they have an opportunity to be that first pick, is there going to be a quarterback in college uh, in college football that they're going to have their eye on that they're going to be salivating at the opportunity to get? So it's it's a question to ask because they do have some okay young talent on offense. They have some opportunity on offense yeah. to to at least you know move the football. I think, but. Hawkinson's very good. Yeah. DeAndre Swift is very good. And, you know, we and, like both of them. And you know, I, I talk a lot of shit about Goff. He's he's okay in play, play action. He's okay when he gets to move his feet. Like there are going to be opportunities for him to at least. You know, I mean, he had moments in in LA the last couple of years. Definitely not so much last season, but a couple of years before that, especially in that Super Bowl season, he he had moments of success. And Dan Campbell, the new head coach there. Kind of a fireball, a firecracker of a coach. He's kind of a weirdo, but yeah, he's weird, weird, I, weird did guy. Did you see that quote about him saying we're gonna get knocked down and bite someone's kneecap on the way up, like? And then we're gonna take an elbow and an arm, yeah. and we're gonna eat him. It's like, what the hell is this guy talking about? Do you see this team, you know, getting motivated and getting behind a guy like that? Do you think they're gonna? No, I see more likely there's a Netflix documentary about him being a serial killer than this being an above 500 team. <laughs> I think there's a zero chance they're above 500. We're talking about four and a half points here. <laughs> so if they're going to succeed, it's going to be, you know, Goff's going to have to have an improvement that, than he was last year because last year Goff was just terrible. And over his early career in the NFL, Goff has relied heavily on his relationship with Sean McVay, who is a quarterback guru in his own right. And he, he's no longer... He's a quarterback whisperer. <laughs> 
he did. <laughs> you got me with the whisper because like you surprised me. I was like, where's that coming from? That's hilarious. He's not going to have McVeigh talking to him in his helmet anymore. So he's going to have Dan Campbell saying, take that guy's arm off, bite him in the leg. Like he's going to hear things like that in, in his helmet. Instead of- oh, kneecap him, kneecap him. <laughs> Sweep the leg. Uh, and he's going to be throwing to guys like Brashad Perriman, who's on his fifth team in five seasons. Tyrell Williams, who missed all of last year due, a, due to a torn labrum and hasn't had more than 43, 43 receptions since 2016. And then Amon Ross St. Brown's really the only kind of talent they are looking at there in the pass catching core in terms of upside. And then he's downgrading from Cooper Cup and Robert Woods and Tyler Higby and. I mean, I guess I, I left off Hawkinson. Formerly Brandon Cooks as well. I, I, you know, not last year, but in years previous. Yeah. And, and I left off Hawkinson in that bunch. But does Hawkinson really raise the ceiling that much? Um, you know, Goff is... I mean, for years, Goff, you could say, played with the best wide receiver trio in the league. When you're talking about Cooks, Woods, and Cup. You know, for what was it, two or three years before they got rid of Cooks? I mean, and was his success that great? Even with one of the best offensive-minded yeah. head coaches, there's a reason he got booted last year. The only reason to be optimistic for Goff is so Goff is notoriously terrible under pressure. The book on him is get him uncomfortable, and he will throw you interceptions galore. He will be inaccurate. He will fumble the football. He will be one of the league's worst quarterbacks if you get him uncomfortable in the pocket. But you know the reason why. Detroit might be a, an all right fit for him. The offensive line might be the best in the league. The offensive line yeah. in Detroit is excellent. It's their biggest strength easily. So, you know, Goff with the clean pocket last year versus pressure uh, was fifth highest in the NFL. That's like the only stat you could find positive about him. So he, he throws well with the clean pocket. When he feels comfortable back there, lets it fly, he does he – does, you know, improve his accuracy, becomes a little bit more of an effective passer. So that's really the only opportunity that they're going to have on offense. I could see them with, with you know, with some of the talent that they have with De- uh, DeAndre Swift and TJ Hawkinson. I could see them, you know, having some games where the offense doesn't look so bad if the pass rush on their opposing defense isn't, you know, having a good day or isn't good in general. I could see that happening, but to happen five times on the year, it's going to be tough to see. Yeah. I don't like when a team brings in Jamal Williams because I don't think he's that good of a running back. But when you bring in Jamal Williams, that means you're going to give him 10 touches because that that's what he was getting in Green Bay. And you know he's not going to come to a team and leave that situation unless this team is saying, hey, no, we're going to make you the 1B. You're not just going to be a backup. You're going to be the 1B. Mm. And I don't like taking the ball out of DeAndre Swift's hands. I think he's much more talented. We saw it for multiple years where Aaron Jones clearly was not getting enough touches compared to Jamal Williams. And I in, in in today's game, we're talking about a good offensive line, and yet Jamal Williams in the preseason game was extremely ineffective running the ball. I think this offensive line is very good. I think that if they if they give the ball to DeAndre Swift and they use Goff in the play action, they could they could get to some wins. But I I have no confidence in Dan Campbell as a head coach. I mean, he says a lot of weird stuff, and I haven't seen it yet in the preseason. <laughs> They'd lost a lot of their top end talent. Says, this team looks like they they're on for the tank. Yeah, go the under. Dan Campbell says a lot of weird stuff. That's our analysis. That's the all things analysis. That's everything you need to know. You can stop the podcast right now. Break your phone. Get rid of your AirPods. You're good. 
He says weird stuff. We're done here. And end the show. And that's it. I'm done. All right. Do you have any thoughts on the fantasy outlook for this team? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think DeAndre Swift is it's going to be very good. I worry about his volume though. Last year he he wasn't given the volume. They were still feeding Adrian Peterson double digit touches. And uh I don't know. I mean Hawkinson's gonna be around the sixth or seventh best tight end. He's fine. I don't think he's gonna, you know, win you your league by any means. I think you're probably gonna overpay for TJ Hawkinson in drafts. I think the upside lies with Amon Ross St. Brown, and you could probably get him at the end of your fantasy draft. Um, just based on the timing he's had with Jared Goff, knowing that Goff likes to have the quick passes, the Robert Woods type of wide receiver. I think that's what that's we kind see of the out comparison of Amon, Amon Ross St. Brown, because he did in his, in his college career, he was working out of the slot a lot in 2019. And then he went in 2020, he was working on the outside, outside the lines a lot. So he was thriving in both mm-hmm. roles he has excellent hands is and he's an efficient pass route runner so yeah um his routes were very crisp the timing looked very good in the preseason yeah. game that i watched I, I like that upside play with with saint brown i think he's kind of in that rashad bateman uh terrace marshall there's a lot of young re- rookie receivers that are going towards the end of your fantasy drafts um that have some upsides in it and, and uh saint brown i mean he has the chance to be the number two wide receiver yeah. on this team i think tyrell was signed to be the number one based on the money they paid him he plays on the outside he's a little bit of taller more prototypical wide receiver one but the possession guy the guy who i think is going to touch the ball a lot in especially in ppr i think i would want amon Ra based on the value you can get late in drafts you could just stash him you know week just, three if, if he's done nothing yet you could drop him and then not feel bad about it either there's seems to be a good potential you can name your team after amon Ra st brown there's got to be something in there about like some sort of oh, yeah. egyptian pharaoh type of fantasy name you put Amon Ra you know um as your your some some something something that you can work with I got to think about it more how about come, come on bra <laughs> there it's a great name I just I, something about that just really I, I like him more than the other rookie receivers going around that area because of his name I just I, it's just it's appealing to me there you go all right Dan Campbell says weird stuff and Amon Ra is a great name <laughs> Boom. That's all you need to know about the Lions. That's it. All right. So DeAndre Swift is obviously the headlining guy for fantasy football here. Um, just want to touch briefly on him because I think um, he's he's a good value. I think I, he drafted as the RB17. I'm a, I'm a tad higher than him on him than some of the experts. In, um, I have a composite ranking um, in my personal I, in my personal evaluations. And I, I, I'm pretty optimistic about his Where do you have him in your rankings, Ben? He's currently my RB... Pull it up for you. He's my RB sixteen, and so he's getting drafted okay. as the RB eighteen or the RB seventeen. I'm at fourteen myself, so we're, we're both, both a little, a little higher. bit higher than the ADP. And, I, and yeah. I think that tier of running backs where you go with like Carson, Swift, Sanders, Montgomery, Jacobs, Dobbins, like it's pretty blurred between those guys. You'll see them ranked all kind of in the same vein there. Um, mm-hmm. And for me, I just I think Swift. Ha- has a pretty high floor just because of the fact that he's really like their only known commodity on offense that has some sort of explosiveness. Um, we don't know about St. Brown. We're just kind of guessing and theorizing that he could be good. But Swift is really the only explosive player on this team. Hawkinson's pretty good, mm-hmm. but I don't know. He doesn't touch the the kind of explosive and, and big play opportunity that Swift can offer you. So, And like I said, Detroit's biggest strength is their offensive line. They have an 11th-ranked tackle in Taylor Decker, second-ranked center in Frank Ragnow, seventh overall pick in Penny Sewell. So 
they have a lot yeah. of excellent talent on the offensive line. They're going to be able to open up some big holes for Swift, you'd like to think. Um, and, and with the lack of a lot, a lot of mid-level passing options here in this offense, aside from Hawkinson, like I said, Amon St. Ross, a little bit optimistic. I think Swift is going to see some more involvement in the passing game this year because that was kind of the big thing out of him coming out of college. I thought he was going to be heavily involved in the passing game. It happened a little bit last year, but not as much as you'd like to think. And then, you know, Anthony Lynn coming in for the offensive coordinator position, leaving Los Angeles again. I think he was mostly more or less let go from his charger position going to Detroit now. I, I think um, it's a good bet Lynn, you know, ha- has proven his propensity for running the football. So I think Lynn's going to – it's a good bet. A former running back himself, yeah. which is why we know he loves to run the football. I think it's a good bet that they're a run-first team, taking the ball out of Jared Goff's hands a little bit, take take some of the burden off of him, put the ball in basically your best offensive player's hands in, in DeAndre Swift. I'm pretty optimistic. You know, this, this offense isn't going to be the sexiest, but I think uh, DeAndre Swift is going to have at least a lot of volume and a, a decent opportunity with, with a lot of running room with that offensive line. So, yeah, I, I think that um, Jared Goff is most effective out of the the play action. So to set that up, you kind of need to establish the run in a lot of these games. And um, DeAndre Swift actually had more receiving yards than Clyde Edwards-Hilaire in the same amount of games played last year. And you think of Clyde Edwards as kind of that receiving back. Well, DeAndre Swift is actually more effective in the passing game. Um, I think really the only downside we see from DeAndre is, okay, does he get the same amount of scoring chances? Because I don't think this Lions offense is going to be prolific by any means. So the touchdown upside is probably a bit lower. And the fact that they have Jamal, uh, Jamal Williams there. So that's definitely going to detract from the amount of touches he gets. But from from all indications, he should, from the season beginning, unlike last year, he should be the main back touching the Definitely. ball. Definitely. And then, I mean, you, you talked about Hawkinson kind of getting ranked right around tight end five between that range of four to six, mostly. Um, Kyle Pitts, TJ Hawkinson, Mark Andrews seem to be in that second tier of tight ends this year. I mean, more or less, because Travis Kelsey seems to be kind of in a tier of his own with Waller and Kittle taking up mm-hmm. two and three spots. Um for me, you look at Hawkinson and the upside isn't quite there. I think he's I think he's more or less probably going to be the number one pass catching option in this offense. But what does that really mean? I mean, you have Jared, Co- Jared Goff throwing him the football. You look at the, the tight ends getting drafted around him. Kyle Pitts has Matt Ryan. Mark Andrews has Lamar Jackson. Tyler Higby has Matt Stafford. Dallas Goddard has Jalen Hurts. Uh, Jalen Hurts might not be... I mean, all these guys are kind. Of, they're kind of better. They're better. Even Noah Fan with Teddy Bridgewater, I feel pretty good. Right? About. I mean, Goff is really that bad. Where it's hard to see how. If Teddy Bridgewater gets the job, I do not like Drew Locke. I don't think he's a good quarterback. Yeah. So I think Hawkinson. It's more of a volume play for me. It's like you you know he's going to be heavily involved in the passing attack for Detroit. But what's the passing attack going to look like? Because it's very possible they're. 30 to 32nd in DVOA in passing this year. So that's a, that's a highly, a, a, po- a high possibility. I mean, even, even the case could be made for a guys like Robert Tunyon, who had 11 touchdowns with Aaron Rodgers last year, yeah. or Tyler Higby, who we've seen dominate for half a season. And now they no longer have Gerald Everett. So I think there are definitely some better values to be had based on where we see TJ Hawkinson going in drafts. I think people assume he's just going to take over and be a stud. But last year, I mean, he averaged seven fantasy points per game. 723 yards he played in all 16 games last year i mean 
that's by no means somebody who I am going to like load up the Brinks truck for and spend high in, in my fantasy draft. I'm going to let, I'm going to nominate him and let somebody else blow their load for TJ Hawkinson. Yeah, Blow that load on Hawkinson. All right. Over under win total four and a half taking the over or the under. It's such a low win total. And yet I have zero confidence in this team. I think they want to tank. I think they want to lose. I think they want to be the Jets of last year playing zero deep coverage, even when the only play for the other team is a Hail Mary. Yeah. I- I'm going to go with the under. Yeah, I'm going under too. I don't see how you could take the over here. I just think this team wants to tank. You don't acquire, you yeah. don't acquire Jared Goff and be like, oh, we want to win football games next year. <laughs> it's, not, it's not a bet I'm going to suggest to anybody because – NFL games, so many things can happen, and four and a half games is so few it in is. a seventeen game it season. Is. I just, I look. There's always a team that wins, you know, one to 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 four games on the season. And I think, and you think, do you think the Lions are the worst team in the league? Right there with maybe the Texans. If Deshaun Watson doesn't play, they're pretty pretty darn bad. Yeah. The Jets could be pretty bad, but I, I, I it's. I, it's hard to see a lot of upside on this line scene. They just are not talented on either side of the football besides the, the, uh, the, tr- in the trenches. They're actually pretty decent in the trenches. Um, yeah, I'm taking the under and, you know, and actually prefer the line be four and a half. I've seen some lines creep up to five, but you're going to get terrible odds on under five. It's going to be like minus one thirty, minus minus one twenty five. If you want to take the under on the lines, you, you want it to be four and a five, 4.5 wins so that you could get right. like a, like a minus one ten uh, odds. Cause there. either way, four, four games, one is going to win you the bet. Yeah. So who cares about if it's a half game or, or five, you know, yeah, exactly. So, it only matters if you're going to take the over on the four and a half. Definitely. And then Detroit's also, they're facing the fourth toughest schedule based on uh, projected win totals on the season. And they have to play outdoors in the cold in in the late late in the season against Pittsburgh, Cleveland, Denver, and Seattle. So they're not easy matchups there. Um, right. I, I, just, I think they're going to be content losing games. I think they're going to have their eye on a quarterback for next season. I think Goff is going to be terrible. The Lions also ranked 32nd in defensive DVOA last year. They were 32nd against the pass and 27th against the run. That's not that's not good. Jeff Okuda was their third overall yeah. pick in 2020. He had a terrible rookie season playing only nine games and wasn't effective at any of those nine games. They're gonna if if the defense is gonna tick this year, they're gonna need a big step up from their uh their high pedigree draft pick in Jeff Okuda. Yeah, and I mean you just look at the division they're playing in with the uh the Packers and the Bears and the Vikings. It's a, it's a tough division yeah. too. It's always a battle every year and I think they're the worst team in that th- division too. I think the secondary is going to be absolute Swiss cheese and I I can't wait to see what Aaron Rodgers does to them in week 2. I can't. I can't wait. I I, I want to draft Aaron Rodgers and then trade him after he got I guess 50 fantasy points against Detroit in week 2. <laughs> I guess that's – and I don't know if you have anything left on the no, lines, great. but maybe that's a good segue great. into our next team. Talking about Aaron Rodgers, let's talk about the Green Bay Packers. Green Bay Packers last year were 13-3. and three. Their over-under win total this year is 10. They are minus 160 to win this division in the 20, upcoming 2021-22 uh, season. They're key, they're, they didn't really make a lot of additions in the offseason. They added Randall Cobb. <laughs> I loved the I, I I heard the ringer talking about this on their fantasy podcast. It was it made me die laughing. You ever seen uh, Guardians of the Galaxy, the, the Marvel movie, Guardians of the Galaxy? Oh, of course, yeah, all three. Remember of them. when they bust out of the? There's only two of them, by the way. Guardians of the Galaxy. No, well, I, I I'm I've seen the third one in my head. 
<laughs> I'm special like Dan Campbell. In the first one, in the first one, they break out of prison, and um, they get all, all five of them get locked up in prison, and they plan this escape plan, and it's the the raccoon rocket. Oh, you plans. know what I'm thinking of? It's because he's in the Avengers yeah, movie he too. Is, he is. They all are, uh, and so they they're they're planning their prison break, and Rocket tells them like, I need this battery and i need um i need this like access to this and i need an access pad and then he goes i also need that guy's leg and it's like a prosthetic leg and it's like uh, it's so funny because it's like that's what aaron Rodgers did to the green bay packers like i need this amount of money i need leverage for next I season also need- and then i also need randall oh, wow. cobb and then and then the the packers get bring back james <laughs> jones and jordy nelson, nelson and then, too <laughs> and then it was like the packers got him and and uh, Aaron Rodgers was probably like, "Oh, you thought I was serious? That's so funny. I just thought it'd be hilarious if you brought back Randall Cobb. That's exactly what Rocket did with the leg. It was so it was hilarious. It made me die. But they brought in Cobb. They lost Jamal Williams, Christian Kirksey, Corey Lindsey. You know what's funny at center about Cobb? Sorry to interrupt, but you know what's funny about Cobb? He feels like he's forty five years old. He's 30, only thirty. Yeah, yeah he's he's thirty. Yeah, he's not old. Um. We can talk about him briefly in the fantasy section because I think he has. A, I don't think we need to. I mean, the the, the uh, you, look you you interrupted me in my loss section. There's not that many other significant losses. Corey Lindsay is the main one for me. Key X factors for the Green Bay Packers heading to the season. Basically, I mean, a lot of the projections. This over under win total is three less than what they got last year. A lot of the projections are basically just saying like. We don't think they could do it again because they've gotten 26 wins, 13 wins in each of the last two seasons, and they over they um, in in 2019 they over uh, achieved their win total by four. Their line was nine heading into 2019, and then last year it was ten. They have they've been the second they've been tied for the most winningest team in football over the last two years, tying the Kansas City Chiefs, and then their second over the last ten years, um, second in the last ten years in terms of wins. Uh, to the Patriots so they're they're an excellent franchise and so the question is whether or not the only thing that's going to be a big X factor for for me is whether or not the Aaron Rodgers drama leaks into the locker room and affects the team's performance because that's really there's not a whole lot of turnover here there aren't a ton of X factors not a ton of question marks here you just wonder can they do it again and one thing that can disrupt their efforts in in doing that is whether or not Aaron Rodgers uh, creates drama in the locker room and I you know, for me, the biggest panacea, the biggest cure-all for locker room drama, it's fucking winning. It's That's what Aaron Rodgers does in Green Bay. He fucking wins. And I think the Green Bay Packers, I love the over here on the 10. I, I hate to jump right to that, but I just, all the things that I read about Green Bay, I just, I, I think that Green Bay is just such an excellent franchise. And I know Aaron Rodgers has kind of thrown a lot of question marks into the way they've operated the last few years in terms of building the team around him. But, you know, that's from a player's perspective, from an executive's perspective. Anybody would love to be in the Green Bay Packers position. I think, you know, 10 wins is very much in the cards here um, for the Green Bay Packers. What are your thoughts? I think you're you're right on the money there. I mean... It seems like all they do is win to quote one of my favorite artists, T-Pain, um, you know, 13 and three last year. And, and they were extremely effective. Again, that defensive adjusted um, offensive efficiency metric talking about DVOA. I mean, they consistently put up numbers. They were clearly by far the best team. Um, and you talk about Aaron Rodgers 
being the MVP of last year and they bring back Devonte Adams as well. And, and that duo is, it has got to be the number one real life and fantasy combination in terms of effective offense. Um, they still have Aaron Jones. And I, I don't think, I, I honestly think AJ Dillon is an upgrade uh, to Jamal Williams yeah. as well. So even if Jones goes down, I think AJ Dillon is a fantastic hey. running back. Robert Tunyon is a fantastic tight end option who, who was a, uh, he's somebody who trained with George Kittle. So they call him kind of like mini Kittle. And I think that's a very accurate description. He's very hard to bring down. He caught a ton of touchdowns. So I think this offense is certainly capable of repeating the type of year they had. I don't last know about year, that. As long as, I don't know about that. Last year was historic. As, historic. As long as the, the, the mental stuff doesn't creep into the locker room. Look, that, they could, it's going to be the key fact. They could regress a little bit. I mean, a, a, a decent amount, not even just a little bit. They could regress a decent amount and still probably finish first in DBOA on offense this year because their offense last year wasn't just good. It was historic. It was incredible, the the, the efficiency numbers you look um, at, at for this offense. I mean, the turnover, you know, for the offense I entered this year, there were, they uh, spent a second-round pick on Josh Myers to replace their longtime center, uh, Corey Lindsey. Kind of like that pick. I think Josh Myers is, is a decent center option there for them. They brought in Amari Rogers with a third round pick to try to replace, um, you know, find that a role for a gadget that slash uh, slot receiver, possibly, um, you know, helping with that wide receiver core there. AJ Dillon, like you said, I like that. I like that upgrade to Jamal Williams. Um, and they they had last year. I mean, this offense is like it was just crazy efficient i mean on third down throws of 20 yards or more that's imagine like being third and long you got to throw the ball 20 yards at least aaron Rodgers had the best marks of any qb in the last five years he had a 1.23 epa per attempt he had, he was throwing the ball 19.8 yards on average he had a 50 percent success rate and an 80 percent catchable ball rate I mean, in comparison, I mean, you look at the 2019 numbers for him. He was 0.22 EPA per attempt, 9.3 yards per uh, per attempt, 30% success rate on 61 catchable ball rate. That's normal. That's that's like that's good, but not great. Aaron Rodgers was historic the, last year. Yeah, and the crazy thing is, is like I feel like half the time I was watching those games, whoever was the number two wide receiver was dropping every other pass from Rodgers too. Yeah. So I. I feel like it was like what Marquez Valdez Scantling. I can't tell you how many times he dropped a deep ball that was like thrown in the bread basket. I mean, in, if they just catch a few more of those, it could have been even in a better season for Rodgers, who had forty-eight passing touchdowns. Yeah, the Packers. Do you, I mean, do you do you see any of these other wide receivers besides Devontae Adams being relevant next year? Yeah, it's um, old man Cobb. Yeah, it's um, it's kind of a hodgepodge, a smorgasbord of guys. I think it's gonna show in the stats i think we're going to see just kind of a spread out uh target range amongst that secondary wide receiver and, and tight end group um but really just like the opportunities are going to be there i mean this packers offense last year they scored on 53.7 percent of their drives that's the seventh highest rate since 2000 and they scored touchdowns on 43.7% of those drives. That's only the only the 2007 Patriots had a higher rate since uh, the year 2000. So, I mean, really, they were just incredible. They had a 52% pass rate on first downs last year in the game's first three quarters. So throwing the ball on first down 52% of the time in quarters one, two, and three. They could bump that up 
honestly this is that's how they can improve because that's that's uh you know right in the ballpark of teams like the eagles who had Wentz and hurts the dolphins who had tua the washington football team who had alex smith um the cowboys who had andy dalton falcons matt ryan i mean rogers is easily the best of that bunch i just listed you so the packers could definitely afford to throw the ball a little bit more i think that that's maybe one area of improvement for them um, you look at their pass efficiency numbers by personnel groupings. They ran a lot of 11 personnel last year. They had a 52% success rate in passing on 11 personnel downs. They've had an excellent efficiency rate on 12 personnel where they're bringing in two tight ends. They had a 68% success rate with two tight ends, which bodes well for your boy, Robert Tanyan. On 21 personnel where they bring in either a fullback or had, I don't think there was a lot of instances where they had Jamal Williams and Aaron Jones in the in the backfield, but 21 personnel. I think they, they had Kuhn, right? Yeah. Is that the well, they, they let go had... of Kuhn. They did. Is that this year they let no, go of him? No, I think they, they, they let go of him last year or maybe the year before that. He, you're right, though. He was the longtime fullback that Aaron Rodgers loved. Kuhn. So in 21 personnel with two running backs and one tight end, they had a 53% success rate. So really, the, you look at that and you circle the 12 personnel and how they can continue to utilize that and be efficient at that because – um, Robert Tanyan was an excellent weapon who emerged last year for them. You touched on that already. I think it's going to end up resulting in some more 12 personnel where Tanyan's getting uh, maybe a little bit more of the of the passing workload. He did have a pretty unsustainable touchdown rate last year. I mean, I think he had 11 touchdowns. Um, I think he, when you look at the efficiency numbers, I mean, just seven of the 59 targets thrown Tanyan's way were incomplete. He had an 88.1% catch rate. And it was the highest ever for a tight end with more than 50 targets yeah. in a season. That's pretty unsustainable. He he had 52 receptions, and 11 of them were touchdowns. Yeah. So we're talking about what Only, 20, almost basically yeah. 20% of his catches were touchdowns, which is Four, completely unsustainable. Eight, yeah, 18. The 6, question is 18.6 touchdown two, rate trailed only Julius Thomas in 2014. With Peyton Manning throwing to Julius Thomas, 19.4% touchdown rate for him. So, so my question is then, Ben, is it more likely that the touchdowns go down or the reception numbers go up? I think both. I think both. I think touchdowns go down. I think receptions go up. And so while Tanyan is I, – I, what did he finish, tight end three or four last year? He was up there. It I, was ridiculous. I, I, I think there's yeah. an opportunity for him in, in the top – finishing the top ten at tight end. I just don't see that touch – those touchdown numbers being nearly as sustainable. Would be, I wouldn't be surprised for, for that touchdown total to be cut in half almost. He was tight end three last year on fantasy points per game yeah. in terms of a 0.5 PPR. And he was averaging just 3.3 receptions per game. That was 16th amongst tight ends. And he was averaging 36.6 yards per game. That was 15th. So middle of the pack in volume numbers was just getting an incredible amount of touchdowns. Um, and I think we see a little bit more of a regression to the mean in both those. I think he's going to be more in the tight end 10 category um, range. I think right now I have him ranked in my personal rankings tight end on 11. I can kind of see him in that range there. I have tight end 10. And uh, just to put it in context, he only had 586 receiving yards last year. Travis Kelsey had 1,416 receiving yards last year. So he had approximately a third, maybe maybe a little bit more than that of the receiving yards, he had the same amount of touchdowns. Yeah. They both had 11. Yeah. And I think they're going to need um, more involvement from Tanyan to move the football going forward for this year because um, things aren't going to get easier for the Packers this season. You look at 
um, their their opponents last year. I mean, this year the Packers are going to face 12 games against pass defenses that ranked in, that ranked in the top half of the league last year, including eight that ranked in the top 10. They'll only face four games against teams that ranked in the bottom 10 last year. Their schedule is looking a lot more challenging compared to last. Last year, the Packers faced only seven, um, faced the seventh easiest schedule of opposing defenses, opposing pass defenses. So they had a pretty cake um, schedule in terms of uh, pass defense that they faces. And it's going to get more difficult this year. So we're going to need to see more involvement and more consistency out of the tight end position, especially if they're going to be so successful in 12 personnel, like I mentioned. All right. Yeah, I mean, I think um, when we're talking about the defenses, even in their own division, I think we think the Vikings are going to get healthier. They're going to be better. If Jeff Okuda is healthier, the line should be a little bit better in their secondary. And, you know, Chicago is still a very tough defense either way. Yeah. So, but it, if these teams can stay healthy within their own division, where, we, where you're talking about a majority of their games played, it should be a little bit tougher for the Packers. Yeah. But I mean, all that being said, in the end, I think it'd be silly to project this offense to not finish as a top five in the league at least bearing any any major injuries i mean this offense just has so much such a high floor and a high ceiling there's just so much reason to be optimistic about the personnel and the talent that they have on the offensive side of the football and the offensive line is going to keep this unit's floor incredibly high considering that four of their five starters are returning and they spent their second round pick on Corey lindsey um cory lindsey's replacement in uh center josh mayers out of ohio state Myers out of Ohio State. So Elgin Jenkins, I think, is going to get a little bit of time at center, but he struggled a little bit in, um, when he sw- switched over to that position last year in his three games there. Um, I think he had uh, three of his eight worst games last year came out of the center position when he was working there. Right guard is his main position. So I just think, you know, the Packers, they ranked first in pass block win rate last year. It's a great bet to assume. I think they're going to pro- uh, assume uh, continue to produce that kind of uh, out output and um, performance again in the 2021-22 season all right let's yeah i think they'll definitely be a very good team again yeah let's look at fantasy football for this team aaron jones i think is where you got to start aaron jones could be primed to receive i think for the first time in his career which is kind of scary considering how much fantasy success he's had this year i think it's an opportunity for him to receive 300 plus touches for the first time in his career um the subtraction of jamal williams i think leaves the door open for a little bit more of a passing uh, a little little more passing work for him williams last year ran routes on 35 percent of green bay's dropbacks and jones ran a pass route on 62 percent of the dropbacks during the three games last year that uh the packers did not have williams on the field uh, uh, 50% when he was on the field. So that's a 12% difference with or without Williams on the field. And so without Jamal in Green Bay this year, I think Jones you know, has a little bit more of an opportunity as long as um, AJ Aaron Jones can hold off AJ Dillon for the goal line work. I think he's going to be easily capable of the RB1 uh, of the RB1 status that he currently holds. He's capable of, I think, exceeding even the projections that he's being given right now and rank. I rank him, you know, around seven, around the uh, RB six or seven. And I think the composite rank has him right around 7.5 amongst most, most experts, uh, RB seven or eight. And I think he could even exceed that. I think the opportunity is going to be there for him. Yeah, I see him similarly. I, I don't think that A.J. Dillon is quite the pass catcher that Jamal Williams is, so I think he poses less of a threat on passing downs. I definitely like 
Aaron Jones to remain on the field just as often on passing downs, if not more. You're definitely right, though, that the question is, okay, does the goal line work some somewhat secede to A.J. Dillon, who is a bigger back, who, who's seen as kind of a bruiser and can probably get into the end zone pretty effectively. Um, but I think with Aaron Rodgers back and the amount of scoring opportunities that this team will have, I think he's safely – in that five to eight running back range, definitely a running back one. Yeah. Um, the other guys that we kind of look at for fantasy, obviously, is the quarterback and the tight end that we've already touched on a lot here. Uh, but really, I think you got to expect a little bit of a regression. I mean, Rodgers finished as the QB three last year, and Tunyon, like you said, finished as the tight end three. Look, there's a lot, there's some room for a regression, but also still have a lot of value in where they're being drafted. I think both those players are good values where they're currently being ranked. Um, and so while there's some room for regression, some probably a likelihood of regression, uh, I just don't see why you still can't consider these guys very quality fantasy assets in Rodgers and Tunyon. Yeah, I think that Rodgers is definitely a decent option. Depending on the rankings, he might have even been running back or uh, quarterback two. He, he and Kyler were very close yeah. in terms of fantasy stats, so it depends on your league scoring. Um, but, the, I mean – he is possibly the most talented quarterback over the past five or 10 years, at least in terms of consistency and and talent. When you put it that point, Um, I mean, I know Stephen A talks about this constantly. I I know Stephen A is not necessarily maybe the best guy to quote. Sometimes he does, he does spew a lot of nonsense, but um, Rogers is his boy. And rightfully so. I mean, Rogers sometimes looks like the greatest talent to ever hold the football back there. He's never had the situation with the, like a head coach, like a Belichick, you know, he's always had things to deal with. Um, So in terms of the stats, he's been able to produce winning a Super Bowl with the teams he has been able to win with. It's pretty damn impressive what he's been able to do. He's going to repeat that. He'll He'll be at least, at least a top 10 option at the quarterback position. Um, the upside's not there in terms of rushing, though, which we know provides a very safe floor in terms of fantasy. Um, my question for you is now that Devontae Adams has Rodgers back at quarterback instead of uh, Jordan Love, is he your number one wide receiver now? Does he eclipse Hopkins and Tyreek Hill yes, and Stephon he al- Diggs? He, he was always going to if Rodgers came back. Yeah, yeah. easily. He he was he was my wide receiver four behind those guys, and I think rightfully so. Right now he is wasn't there because no no he was, and and I think that's still reflected in my rankings. But now that they have Rodgers playing again, I think he's got to be the first wide receiver taken off the board. Yeah, for sure. Eighteen touchdowns last year. We're talking about. I mean, maybe Tyreek Hill. There's only a a very he's pretty fantastic. There's only a very small amount of wide receivers in this league that have the combination of talent and volume that that approach Adams. Because you look at his competitors for the RB for the wide receiver one spot, Tyreek Hill has to compete with Travis Kelsey, Stephon Diggs. Um, he's actually right in that kind of ballpark with Devontae Adams. He led to the league in targets last year. Adams was second, um, or no, he was I think fourth. But, but Adams had ten more touchdowns. Yeah. Ten touchdowns in itself is a great year. The fact that he had ten more than Stephon Diggs. Yeah. So Diggs is one of those guys you consider in that kind of ballpark. DeAndre Hopkins. Rodgers is, is not running the ball into the end zone. Josh Allen, yeah. half the time in the red zone is going to run the ball. And then you look at, the point was like, 
I mean, Hopkins kind of has the opportunity for the volume, but maybe the talent's not there as quite as much as Devontae's. Maybe, um, I think Devontae, I think most experts would agree that Devontae's a more talented receiver than, than Hopkins at this point in his career. Calvin Ridley is going to be a guy. I'm not sure about talent-wise, but again, I think the quarterback plays into it. Kyler's just so much more likely to take off with the ball in his hands around the red zone than Aaron Rodgers. And I think Rodgers just hones in on Devontae Adams in the red zone just so often. Yeah. Thanks for uh, letting me get to the point here. <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know. I I mean, the point is Devontae Adams, the point is Adams is there. Wise, I... Adams is the wide receiver one. Okay. That's, that's the, that's the point. <laughs> All right. Screw your point. The dart throw, the dart throw pick here for me in green Bay is Amari Rogers. The, the, the rookie wide receiver, like we mentioned earlier, drafted in the third round out of Clemson. It was the highest pick that the Green Bay Packers drafted a wide receiver since 2014 when they drafted the very own guy that we're talking about, Devontae Adams. They drafted Adams with the 53rd pick and uh, Mari Rodgers was the 85th pick in the last uh, the last offseason draft for Green Bay. I think he has an opportunity, I mean, with that kind of pedigree, bringing him into, you know, I, I, there's not a whole lot of upside with, uh, you know, the other guys they have in this this wide receiver uh trio i mean you talk about what's the um uh alan lazard and the other what's why is the other guys marquez Marquez valdez scantling and they still have equanimous st brown as well st brown is someone that some people throw as the dart throw as well i think amari rogers has the the pedigree that they're going to give him a chance to you know claim uh maybe the wide receiver two maybe the wide receiver three role in this offense and that's always going to be valuable when you have a quarterback like aaron Rodgers throwing you the ball I mean, for two straight years, St. Brown and uh, Scantling have both had plenty of opportunities to kind of claim that either two or three spot, and neither really have held on to it or shown a propensity to be consistently effective. Both have had their games, their their kind of blowout games, but neither have have really been like, okay, Devontae, I'm your number two. Lazard uh, only did well when those guys were injured as well, was effective, but he's by certainly no means – a consistent player at the same time too. So, yeah, I, yeah, I like that that option uh, from you, Ben, as as a guy who has some upside. I mean, if you have possibly the most talented quarterback throwing you the ball, you know, right up there with Patrick Mahomes, who knows? Sky is kind of the limit. Yeah. All right, let's get to the pick here. Over or under ten wins? Over. Over. We're we're in tandem pretty there. Easy yeah. over. Pretty easy for me as well. I mean, if if, if not for the offseason drama with Rodgers, I don't see why Las Vegas would be projecting a three game decrease in wins for Green Bay this season. Like is that what, is what that a line do? that's been changed no. lately? I, I feel like that's it's not creeping up. No, it's it's sat tight at ten. Um All right. That one might might go in the personal dough column. That that that's oh, one okay. I feel pretty okay. good about. So I've seen some creep up to eleven. So okay. there is a little, maybe a little bit of um, a little bit of some movement there on the Packers. I think that what happened was I think it was honestly like eight and a half with, when with the drama with Rodgers was going on, and then when when Rodgers said he was coming back, they took it off the board for a little bit, and then they brought it back. I think mm-hmm. at ten, and then I think it's crept up. I think people were hammering the and 10. then everybody's betting on so yeah, everyone's betting over because. <laughs> Why wouldn't you? I mean, jeez. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it's tough to see how they don't get to that number. I, I think I think I'd still put money on at eleven because that, with the extra game this year, that gives you kind of a two and a half buffer 
but game buffer there um i just i don't see how they because the half game being the extra one um mm-hmm. I, I i just don't see how you um it, it it would be tough to see the, them not reach that 11 win total i think that 12 is definitely in the cards Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I mean, 12 and 6, I, I definitely see them winning two out of every three games. That's all you're asking yeah. from them. I also like that they brought in Joe Barry out of Los Angeles. He was the, the Rams assistant there in L.A., and we saw how excellent the Rams D has done in recent seasons. That's a good add to uh, probably one of their weaker uh, teams or sides of the football. Defense was probably their weakest link last year. Um, well, definitely was compared to the offense. And Joe Barry is a pretty bright mind out of L.A., they also brought in a rookie. Their first round pick was a cornerback out of Georgia, Eric Stokes. They directly addressed one of their biggest weaknesses last year. I mean, Kevin King in the NFC Championship game cost the Packers. Terrible. He had an awful game. And Jair Alexander was the top-ranked corner in uh, PFF's rankings last year. King was 95th. The big difference on different sides of the football. So we were the Packers w- were leaving the, the, the window open for a wide receiver, two to have a big game against them week in and week out. Um, so locking up that that cornerback, that secondary situation, I think was definitely a good move for them in the draft. Uh, I think they addressed a, a lot of needs for them in, in the last draft. So I'm definitely taking the over. Yeah. All right. Yeah. So even if it creeps up to 11, we're we're both saying over still. still. Yeah. All right. Let's go to Minnesota. Minnesota last year was the Minnesota Vikings were seven and nine. Their over under win total is about eight and a half or nine this year. Um, they're plus two fifty to win this division. The key ads on the year: Dalvin Tomlinson, uh, pass rusher at Patrick Peterson at cornerback, Stephen uh, Stephen Weather, Weatherly, uh, the edge rusher Nick Vert of Vigil, linebacker Xavier Woods, the safety uh, Mackenzie Alexander, cornerback Mason Cole, Perry Nickerson. Um, key losses: Anthony Harris, Chris Jones, Eric Wilson. Hardy Nickerson, uh, kind of those are the kind of rounds out most of their guys. Uh, I mean, the key X factors for me. I mean, the main point with Minnesota is they don't really seem to be a high variance team. You kind of know who they are. They're kind of a the, the epitome of a, a high floor, low ceiling type of team, especially when you have a quarterback like Kirk Cousins. So really, what's going to make or break whether or not they make this win total, I think, is their defense because their defense last year had a plethora of injuries. Their three best defensive players, arguably Anthony Barr. Um, Eric Kendricks and uh, Daniel Daniel Hunter um, are all excellent Pro Bowl type of you know defensive players, and they're going to be elite additions back to that defense this year. I, I'm pretty optimistic about the Vikings. Yeah, I feel good about them as as a healthy team. You know, seeing Justin Jefferson more than replace Stephon Diggs last year. Obviously, they're bringing Adam Thielen and Dalvin Cook back. Kirk Cousins has has consistently been average to above average. You know, he's not going to break any records, but I think we kind of know what we're going to get out of him. And if that defense comes back much more healthy than they were last year, especially with a lot of the key additions, I still think Patrick Peterson has a ton left in the tank. I think this can be a a very effective team. Yeah, Patrick Peterson last year had a a down season for him uncharacteristically in Arizona. And I think what the cause was, I mean, Arizona was one of the leading defenses in man coverage. And Peterson was getting burnt in man coverage a lot. And I think Minnesota uh, uh, deploys a heavy amount of zone coverages, which I think will definitely bode well for Patrick Peterson to continue to uh, prove effective this late in his career. I liked that addition, definitely. They they also I mean they 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 brought in Brashad Breland who's going to be a helpful addition to their secondary as well. I think they kind of shored up that weakness for themselves. 
Yeah, you're right. I mean, the the defense is going to be what is the the major factor for this team. I think the offense is going to produce very similarly. So, if if getting these guys back healthy, the Anthony Bars and and then the key additions, if they perform well, I think this team could be a, a very well rounded roster. You know, they love to run the ball. They're a run first team. And what's very important for a run first team is to have an effective defense. And I think that's what limited their winning potential. I think their offense was fine as a run first, but what happens is, you know, you end up putting a lot more pressure on your defense to come up and because they're not going to score a ton of points as a run first offense, it it does put more pressure on your defense. Yeah. The, um, I mean, people would love to also bag on Kirk Cousins. He's like he's just such a boring guy that you just like don't really love him leading your team. But he's also he's derpy. He's very derpy. Yeah, he's 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 also a good quarterback. Like he's there's a lot of teams that would prefer to have Kirk Cousins as their QB than the guy they're currently rostering. Like he's you look at the stats and he's he's actually been pretty good. I mean, Cousins led the Vikings to one of the league's most efficient passing attacks last year. I mean, they were seventh in success rate for at 49%. They were eighth in EPA per passing play at 25.4%. They were bottom, they, but they were bottom in the terms, they were in the bottom of the league in terms of passing volume. So even the Minnesota Vikings don't really trust Kirk Cousins despite the efficient, the efficient yeah. numbers. So this team loves to run the football is what we're also getting to here because, I mean, Dalvin Cook is one of the league's, if not the league's most uh explosive and versatile rushers in this league um and when you have a guy like that i mean it's hard to not go to him you know 25 30 almost 30 times a game but i mean with the efficient numbers that cousins has put up you wonder you know is it because the volume hasn't been there or is it because their teams are worried about them running the ball i mean I, I sometimes you just gotta put the <laughs> cousins has been effective and you gotta see if he could do it at, at a higher volume i think if this team were to win if this team wants to win more games or increase their ceiling i think that would be the way to do it but in terms of conti- they continue to be a team that just kind of uh covers games they're one of the best teams against the spread over the last like five or six years since zimmer took over and they've just they're they're just always in the hunt they're always a competitive team and that's really like 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 getting back to my original point they're just kind of high floor low ceiling not a whole lot of variance with them not a whole ton to get excited about mm-hmm. but they're they're i think they're a solid team and I, i'm leaning on the over with that with that win total what are your thoughts i think if i were to read out kirk cousin's stat line everybody would be pretty surprised and they probably wouldn't put the player's name to the stat line. Definitely. I one mean, of those guys, we're talking about those guys for sure. 4,265 yards. So he, he well eclipsed that 4,000 passing yard range and his TD to interception ratio was fantastic. He had 35 passing touchdowns to only 13 interceptions last year. We're talking about basically a three to one touchdown to interception ratio. And that's very effective. I mean, Cam Newton had eight touchdowns passing and 10 interceptions last year. Yeah. So. I mean, he was My third last year. He was third in the NFL in past uh, pass yards per attempt at 8.3, fourth in the league in yards per completion, 12.2. Those are all great numbers. He's also thrown 25 right. or more touchdowns in six straight seasons and thrown for over 8.0 yards per pass attempt. So those are the past two, uh, two years. In the past two years, he's thrown at least 8.8 yards per pass yeah. attempt. So he's consistently ranked uh, near the bottom of the league in passing volume. 
is my point too though so it's like the vikings just don't really trust him and you wonder if that kind of caps that ceiling like i'm saying because their o-line we uh, dalvin cook is an excellent running back but the o-line's not good the o-line is very mediocre and um think when right there's a lot of three yard runs and a lot of 30 yard runs and that's mostly based on the talent that dalvin cook has he can turn a broken play into a big game but it's not consistent it's not five yard run after five yard run it's either very little or a lot yeah and that's kind of why that offense isn't even more efficient and why they had lower lower scoring totals even though the yardage per play might have looked decent because when you're talking about a few three yard plays it's going to lead to a turnover on downs more often or or a punt yeah um but then all of a sudden he breaks off a 90 yard rushing touchdown it makes up for the yardage but the defense is on the field a lot it, it runs off a lot of clock and it doesn't allow Kirk Cousins to quite put up the stats if he had more opportunities and pass attempts. But this offense was still able to reduce two top 15 wide receivers as well. You know, Adam Thielen, extremely effective around the red zone, and we saw the birth of Justin Jefferson last year. So I, I think that if you're talking about the talent around Kirk Cousins, if they if they were to take – the reins off a little bit and open up this offense a bit more, a few more pass attempts. Even Irv Smith is a possible breakout candidate. I think the the Vikings have a lot of potential next year. Yeah, as a healthy roster. And if you're a Vikings fan and you're hoping that the retiring of Gary Kubiak, the offensive coordinator, is going to result in some sort of offensive renaissance and and scheme change, schematic change, don't get your hopes too high because his son came in. Is I think it's Clint uh, Clint Kubiak. So. <laughs> I mean, you know, like father, like son, I think this team's still going to run the football. I love Dalvin Cook and fantasy. And I think we're going to continue to see efficient numbers for the the passing game. But I just don't see how the vol. I don't don't think the volume's going to be there for Jefferson and Thielen to approach the elite, like the top tier status. Because I think they're kind of, they're both incredibly talented, capable of even more than what they produce in fantasy. But I think the fact that they just, the volume isn't quite there for across the board for this passing attack it kind of caps their ceiling a little bit. Yeah, I don't think either of us have Dalvin Cook as our top-ranked running back in terms of fantasy, but if you were to select him number one overall in your fantasy draft, that's not a bad pick, and I don't think that's within... I think that's certainly within the realm of possibility that he is the number one running back, absolutely, because I would say he's the most explosive running back in the league. This is a run-first offense, and I think the, the biggest question mark with Cook throughout his career has just been health. Definitely. How high is too high to draft Justin Jefferson? Would you draft him? Would you consider, would you like scoff at an owner drafting him over uh, DK Metcalf? I have DK Metcalf one spot ahead of him, but I would not scoff at it by any means. I mean, what about Calvin? um, Jefferson had more receiving yards than both of those guys last year. Believe it or not, I would take Calvin Ridley because we know he's going to be the number one option now that Julio Jones is out of that system. So I think he's just the volume. Adam Thielen still being in Minnesota and that being a, a run-first offense. But I mean, I'm not going to scoff at it. If you think Justin Jefferson is the next breakout absolute stud, he he put up one of the, if not the best, Yeah rookie wide receiver season of all time he's he's absolutely right up there if you so i would say most experts kind of are 
mutually agreeing of, uh, in agreement upon the first like three wide receivers right now in Devontae Adams, mm-hmm. Tyreek Hill, and Stephon Diggs. That's kind of where, where most people are, are ranking these guys in the top three. Which of these wide receivers in, in their sophomore seasons or even I think um, AJ, AJ Brown's like in his third year, right? So how, how many of these young receivers would you consider uh, have the highest potential to break into that top tier, that top three receiving class? Um, let me give you the options. D- DK Metcalf, uh, Cal- Calvin really is kind of almost there. So that doesn't really count. That's kind of a cheat code. DK Metcalf, AJ Brown, Justin Jefferson, Terry McLaurin, CD Lamb. Out of that bunch, which one do you think has the highest potential to break into that top tier this uh, this season? Metcalf, Brown, Jefferson, that's, McLaurin, Lamb. That's a hell of a question. Um, clearly, he did not pose this question to me ahead of time because that's very difficult. Uh, I think we kind of saw the level of volume we expect from both DK and Jefferson last year. And, you know, it obviously panned out. They were in that five to six to seven range. I think more upside is there for Terry McLaurin out of all of them. Really? Because I think we're going to see the biggest leap in the amount of offensive pass attempts. Okay, I can see that. Um, t- Ryan Fitzpatrick absolutely loves to target wide receivers. This is one of the better quarterbacks that he's had. He was playing with Heineke and Alex Smith and Dwayne Haskins and still was putting up 88 yards a game. Um, AJ Brown's on a run first team. Justin Jefferson's on a run first team. I think Pete Carroll wants to institute a run first team. And that's why I'm going to go with Terry McLaurin. Yet I do have him ranked the lowest out of all of them. I think he has the lowest floor because Fitzpatrick could flame out, but he also has the highest ceiling. Very interesting. Out of the guys that I listed, I think I might consider McLaurin. I think I might be pessimistic about all of most pessimistic about McLaurin amongst that, that bunch. That's interesting. Yeah. I I would say that's a tough question. Right. Lowest floor for McLaurin. I have him ranked the lowest. I have him ranked the lowest, but I also think he is the highest upside because I think we kind of saw where the upside was capped for for those other guys. For me, I think it's the highest upside might be C.D. Lamb. I really, really love C.D. Lamb. Oh, yeah. Dak's volume could be great, but the fact that Amari Cooper and Gallup are Exactly. That's really the biggest... It's tough. That's the biggest question with him, but I've always been a Lamb guy. I loved him coming out of Oklahoma. I thought he was the best receiver in that class. Um, Yeah. I just... I've always really liked him. I think he's got an opportunity. I think he has the highest potential of that bunch I listed, I think. But the point is that we, we were talking about before this, you know, Justin Jefferson and his abilities because Justin Jefferson came out of almost nowhere last year. He was going undrafted in most fantasy most fantasy drafts. I drafted him and dropped him in one league, dude. Man. I couldn't believe it. And um, you know, he's finding himself here, you know, the composite rank amongst a lot of experts here is kind of about around wide receiver seven. So I mean he, he went from undrafted to a top ten, undoubt undoubtedly a top ten fantasy wide receiver that's incredible leap and it's just his rookie season i mean you have to ask yourself what kind of leap are we going to see in his sophomore year does he have more in the tank in terms of potential it's a good question to ask because i think he he honestly might have the (laughs) that that group of rookie receivers i listed you is just so physically talented i was about to say he might have the most physical talent but i mean that might go to dk metcalf or aj brown (laughs) but it's just the young talent i mean those guys are young too the young talent is just off the charts here I think those are both third-year guys, though, too, A.J. Yeah, Brown and yeah. Metcalf. I think I, I initially corrected myself when I said that, but you're right. They're all young to me, though. All right, so 
Connor, the question now we get to with the Vikings. Over or under eight, uh, eight and a half, nine wins for the Minnesota Vikings? I'm, I think I'm going to go over here. Yeah, I'm going I don't too. feel as good about the Packers, but I'm, I'm, I think I'm going to go over here as well. Yeah, I'm going to go over here as well. I mean, last year it was easy to see why Minnesota would regress. It, it, they, in 2019, they had 10 wins, and it was pretty easy to see why they would regress from that. I mean, there was a lot of things that kind of went right for them and then went wrong for them in 2020. Heading into last year, they had 15 players in um, – it, it, they had 15 players drafted so they were bringing in 15 new rookies in a terrible year to integrate rookies or expect significant comp- contributions from them um we right. talked about it last year in our fantasy advice like it, with with the covid impacted season it was very tough for young players to comp- or hit the ground running with the playbook and learning schemes and there were no preseason games last yeah, year right the development process was like it was microwaved and it, and it did come out right just like a real microwave like it just you know you microwave something it doesn't quite come you out you put a right. pizza in the microwave it's and, gonna be a little bit soggy you know it's decent it's still pizza but it's soggy exactly. it's not as delicious you yeah. don't get the crisp that's yeah. what last season was in terms of football it was it was, it was it lacked crispiness the vikings <laughs> were microwave pizza <laughs> and they also i mean they then in 2020, they completely overhauled their defense from 2019. They lost uh, Linville Joseph, Everson Griffin. They lost all three starting cornerbacks in Xavier Rhodes, Trey Waynes, and Mackenzie Alexander, who they actually brought back this year. Um, in 2019, they were also the healthiest team in the NFL. They were fourth in sack margin by plus 20, They were, uh, which means they got more sacks, 20 more sacks than they received. Um, and then they were fifth in turnover margin, plus 11, seventh in, re- in fumble recovery luck, and eighth in field goal luck. All kinds of things that are uh, more or less at, uh, attributed to attributed to uh, luck or kind of variance. And they had a lot of things go right for them in 2019. And then in 2020, they also, to tack on to all this stuff, they lost uh, their offensive coordinator, Kevin Stefanski, who went on to win the 2020 AFC Coach of the Year in Cleveland. They also lost Stefan Diggs, who led the league in receiving last year. So it's a lot of things stacked against them last season. And, and you could understand how they got off to that one and five start. And then I think they went up five and one in the next six games. And then they finished, they finished, uh, they struggled to finish. So it was kind of an up and down year for them. And then it also, I mean, with the COVID impacted season, no fans in the stands, Minnesota ha- it has one of the most significant home field advantages in the league. And in 2020, they, that was taken away. Uh, since moving to their new stadium in 2016, the Vikings have led the league in the best cover rate against the spread at home. 70%. That's astonishing. 70% cover rate at home for the Minnesota Vikings since 2016. Last year, they were 3-5 and five straight up. They they won three, lost five at home last year, and they covered in only two of those eight games. Really just a lot of unfortunate things that happened for them. And um, they were, you know, a lot less fortunate in terms of playing backup or poor quarterbacks. They they played against tough defenses, tough offenses. It It was a plethora, a myriad of reasons why last year was just kind of a washed season. And I think that this over under win total is kind of impacting uh impacted by that that you know disappointing 2020 year um and i just listed you all the reasons why you know they shouldn't be blamed too much for what happened to them last year 
I mean, even their kicking was disappointing. If I remember, they signed Dan Bailey from the Cowboys, yeah. who had been previously the, one of the most effective kickers of, of NFL history in terms of his percentage of field goals made. And he was bad. I think he might yeah. have retired, honestly, after last year of how bad he was. So, yeah, I mean, a lot of things went wrong for that team last year. I mean, a bright spot being they found Justin Jefferson as an awesome replacement, and now they're going to be a lot healthier. And I think that offense will ju- be just as effective on the ground and through the air. So I do like them to have a significant improvement for sure. Yeah, I'm definitely optimistic about them. I, I honestly, I, I, I'm pretty confident in the over on the eight and a half or nine. I, I, I love that chance for them. I think that with the fans back in Minnesota, that home field advantage is going to be back. I think they're going to be that that bona fide home field advantage team again. Um, the additions on defense, like I said, I'm a big Anthony Barr fan. I, I went to the same high school as him. I used to work out in the same gym as him. I was putting up like like. 85 pounds as a freshman in high school and he was putting up like 280 as a junior or senior in, in, in high school it's just like he's basically bench pressing you while you are bench pressing your weights <laughs> yeah I used, to, I used to just like sit and watch him work out not in, in not a not in a weird way not but in I, a creepy I, way yeah <laughs> The dude was an animal. Maybe a little so bit weird way, but it's fine. I love Anthony Barr coming back. Daniel Hunter, Eric Kendricks, all those guys are Pro Bowl talents on the defense side of the football. I think they're going to help turn it around this year for them. Over nine wins for the Minnesota Vikings. Yeah, I, I guess you could say they have a lot of new men on the Minnesota Vikings. <laughs> <laughs> all right, guy. Connor, it's just been a, a blast to get back into the swing of things for football season because there's just – it's it's cool to just football is just a different kind of uh, sport where it just gets you jazzed about um, the big plays and and the fantasy seasons and talking with your friends and your group chats and all that right. stuff just coming back around every year it just gets you in a good mood and it's been a lot of fun yeah. starting these podcasts again with you um, but what are your takeaways so far? I would say that uh, I'm glad we have a little bit of a difference of opinion on some of these guys lately because after the first two podcasts, I was getting kind of freaked out about how aligned we are. Um, you know, a lot, still a lot of overlap, but um, I mean, dude, fantasy football's back, regular football's back. And I think what makes football so exciting is that you really only get 16, 17 games in the regular season. So each game is more meaningful and impactful. And that's why the level of analysis and research and, and predictions and podcasts and everything that you can consume is all the more important uh and so listening to something like our hour and a half to two hour podcast breaking down each division is going to be so helpful and impactful if you plan on gambling if you plan on playing fantasy football or if you just want to listen and talk about football with some of your friends yeah my interest in this type of analysis i think stems back to my education days um i was an economics major and my main interest in economics was just using this in-depth analysis this in this advanced data and creating macro evaluations and big picture evaluations for what the data tells you and that's exactly what i do here in in our podcasting and fantasy football and my gambling uh, recommendations and my in my analysis i think it really what just gets me uh gets me the most enjoyment out of this is is using the small data the numbers that i'm finding and using it to create big evaluation and the big picture um guesses and predictions and um i mean i'm gonna it's, I, it's really those differences that um you know allow you to either win your fantasy football league or come in last definitely. place and the track for record you, speaks it for panned itself. out you you won the league last year i was able to overcome saquon getting injured and and, and win last year and we crushed it in dfs it's it's this 
deep level analysis that's gonna it's it's what's going to take you to the next level um as a football fan and so we hope you're tuning in week after week and and you're following along with us because we're going to give you that advantage at all things analysis well said all right connor any last words ready to wrap it up uh win baby win let's go (laughs) shout out to win baby win all right guy it's been a blast here episode 73 is a wrap 74 sorry 74 is a wrap man they just keep stacking up three episodes we recorded this week let's go we're on a roll we've been very proficient and efficient with our time here on the vicious you can say we've been vicious (laughs) vicious all right guy don't please uh listeners please don't uh, forget to subscribe rate and review vicious talk with benny p on all your podcast platforms we're on all of them at this point also go to our youtube channel for all things analysis and our website allthingsanalysis.com we have a lot of exciting things coming your way we are amped for the upcoming football season if you don't know already connor don't forget to ask yourself at the end of the day are you vicious <laughs> <laughs>